Today we're in, uh, we're in week number four of our series called The Jesus Way, and, and today's message is a little bit out of order. Uh, you know, last week we did, we did lesson four in this, in this list here. We're talking through the six antitheses of Jesus. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter five in your Bibles or your Bible apps we're in this section just after the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are the section where Jesus said, blessed are the meek in spirit and blessed are the, all these people, right? Well, shortly after that, he gets into this other section in his sermon where he's talking about these antitheses. And antithesis just means an opposite. So Jesus is saying, you've heard the law says this one thing on the left, like don't murder, don't commit adultery, a man can divorce, don't break vows, eye for eye, hate your enemies. But Jesus is going to tell us something else on the right. And again, I want to remind you, you've heard it before, but I want to just, it bears repeating. Jesus is not saying here that the law is bad. Jesus isn't saying that the law, that God had it wrong when he wrote the law. What he's saying is, he's talking about the interpretation of the law. He's saying you've heard it said this way. Or another way to think of it is, you've heard the interpretation of the law this way. And how many of you know that God's word God's word can be interpreted lots of different ways, right? There are a lot of churches or a lot of cults that come with an interpretation of God's word and they spin it and they twist it and then all of a sudden you're not, even, you're not at all following the heart of God. So there's all different degrees on that, but even, even well-meaning churches and Christians can kind of get it wrong and, and think that God is saying this one thing in the Bible when that's, that's not what he's saying at all. You, you, you miss the whole point. And so what Jesus is calling into question in this, in this passage is he's, he's calling the interpretation of the Pharisees, he's basically saying the way you've heard it taught was wrong. They had it wrong. Now I'm sure in our teaching here at Alpine Church in 20 plus years, of te- for me especially, I'm sure that I've, that, that I've gotten some things a little wrong. I'm, I'm, I don't know what it is. If I knew what it was, I'd tell you. But I'm not infallible and I'm sure that I've I'm sure that I've missed the interpretation here and there a little bit. So I'm not, I'm not claiming that we've got it all completely figured out. But what we do know is this, is we look to God and his word and all that we do. And we really try our best to let God's word speak for itself, let God's word interpret his word. And, and instead of coming to the Bible, this is what we can sometimes do. Instead of coming to the, to the Bible and saying, here's what I want it to say, and so now I'm going to make it say that. We come to the Bible and say, what is it really saying? What is, God real, what is God's way really here? What, is, what does he want us to really genuinely know? And that's our approach when we look at scripture. Now, this is important because today's topic, we're gonna, again, we took this out of order last week, we did four, so this week we're doing three and then we'll get back on track. We did all that because we didn't want to preach on divorce on Mother's Day. We felt like that wasn't prudent, you know? We might not get everything right, but I think we got that right, thank God. Um, so we're, we're covering week number three today, and then we'll finish the series in the next two weeks. So we're going to talk about divorce and marriage. And today's message, we're, we're calling today's message Saving Your Marriage, because we don't want to just talk about divorce. We want to talk about the positive side of that, which is marriage. We, wanna, we, wanna, we are going to look a little bit about what God says about divorce and the Jesus way of divorce but we're more than anything, we're really going to look at what merit, what his ideal is for marriage. But before we do that, I, I've got to start with this story. When years ago, when I was 
getting ready to get engaged to my now beautiful wife. She was beautiful back then. She just wasn't my wife. But my now beautiful, she was my beautiful girlfriend. Now she's my beautiful wife. Did I say that? She's here, so I want to make sure I got that right. <laughs> raise, raise your hand if you heard me say it right. Everybody knows she's beautiful. Amen? All right, good. I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I think she's the one. I want to get married to her. And my dad said something to me that I'll never forget. He said, son, he said, that's great. I think she's great. She'd be a great daughter-in-law. So on that end, he was like, great. He said, she's beautiful. I said, you're right. You got that right. And then he said, he said, marriage is the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life. And so I was like, thanks for the pep talk, Dad. That was, that was, that was a great talk. And he was serious. He was like, it's the hardest thing you're ever going to do in your life. And I want to just, I want to tell you, the young people in here, I hope, I hope all the young people, all the unmarried people in here, marriage is probably not even on your radar. My son's 19, and he is just like, that is the farthest thing from his mind right now, but I want him to listen to this message still. Because there's some stuff in here for current marriages, and there's some stuff in here for future marriages. But I, want, I just want everyone to, he, everyone to hear this. Your marriage does not have to be hard. I think, my, I think I can say 20 plus years into it, who's counting? I can say that my, this is one area where my dad was actually wrong. Because by the grace of God, our marriage has been awesome. I've got an incredible wife. We've got, I'm not saying marriage is easy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying marriage is easy. But your marriage can be great. Your marriage can be good. God wants your marriage to be good. It doesn't have to be conflict. It doesn't have to be strife. It doesn't have to be hardship. I know a lot of marriages are like that. Maybe you grew up seeing that in, in your parents' marriage. I don't know. I'm not, my parents didn't have a perfect marriage, certainly, by any stretch of the imagination. And I think it's probably true what my dad said for, for him, but it's not true for me. Thank God, because I remember, I remember thinking, oh, man, it's going to be brutal, you know? Maybe I should just not even do this. I can honestly say, and we, said, we were saying this to our daughter the other, the other night, we went to dinner, and, and we were talking about marriage. Parents, I hope you talk with your kids about marriage. I hope you're vulnerable about your own marriages. And we just said to her, I, I pray that you're blessed with a marriage as good as or even better than our marriage. And my, our kids have a perspective on marriage that is, again, it's not rosy, it's not it's not perfect. They know our marriage isn't perfect, but they have seen a husband and a wife keeping things simple and loving one another through the ups and downs. So I want to start by saying marriage can be good. Marriage can be rewarding. Marriage can be simple. But a lot of times it's really hard. And there are a lot of people, even Christian people, especially Christian people, who are looking for a loophole. They're looking for a reason not to get married, or not to get, sorry, they're looking for a reason to get a divorce. They're saying, it's hard. Can I get a divorce? Is it okay if I get a divorce? Now, non-Christians probably don't even have to think about it. In the, in the secular world, in the non-Christian world, they say, when I'm done with this, if, look, our time is done, it's been a good run, but let's try something else now. In the secular world, non-Christian world, it's just like, all right, we're done, it's over. But it should be different in the Christian world. 
Remember, value number one for our church is we look to God and his word in all that we do. So what we should do first and foremost is say, what does God's word have to say about divorce? And that's what we're going to look at a little bit today, divorce and remarriage. Today's scripture, it's the shortest scripture of all six sermons. Two verses, and yet it's the one that we wish we had the most scripture on, but this is all Jesus gives us. He says this, Matthew 5, 31. You've heard the law that says, a man can divorce his wife for any old reason. My, that's my interpretation. Literally, that's kind of the sense here. A man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce for, because this is what the Jewish law said is just on a whim, whatever, if the man wanted to divorce his wife, the only thing is he had to give her a, a written notice of divorce and the reason for that is so that because of that, then she could get remarried. So that was the, that was the Old Testament interpretation. That was the interpretation of the Old Testament law is, is just make sure to give her a, if, if, if you're done with her, if you're sick of her, if, she, if, she's, if you're not, quote, unquote, in love with her anymore, whatever the heck that means, if I hear one more person come to me and say, we're just not in love anymore, I'm like, what do you think that word even means, friend? Do you think that's a feeling? Love isn't a feeling. Love is a choice. So you're not in love, mean, mean, what that means is you're choosing not to love her anymore. That's what that means. This is Let's call a spade a spade. But that's kind of the, that's what, had, what it had come to in the Jewish law is, hey, husbands, you can divorce your wife. A wife wouldn't divorce a husband, but husbands, you can divorce a wife whenever you want to. Just be, be the bigger person and give her a certificate of divorce so she can go off and marry somebody else. Otherwise, she's really in, in a heap of trouble. So do you see how jacked up that was? You see how selfish, how man sent, literally man-centric that is and how selfish that is? And so Jesus said, you've heard the law that says that, but here's what I say. A man who divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery, and that's all he has to say about it. And then he moves on to the next thing. Now, there's actually very little scripture that talks about divorce. There's literally only three or four scriptures in the Bible that talk specifically. Three of them are in the New Testament and one of them is in the Old Testament that talk about divorce at all. So we don't have very much to go on here when we're talking about whether it's okay to get divorced and get remarried. And we're not going to really necessarily answer all of this categorically today. I want to just, I want to make sure that you understand we're not going to answer this categorically today but I, want, I do want to say that as a pastor, this is one of the, doing wedding ceremonies can be either the, one of the best parts of my job or being asked to do a wedding can be one of the worst parts of my job because I don't always say yes to it. Because again, I look to God and his word and all that I do. So if I believe that this couple is, is not, does not have God's blessing in their marriage, then I won't do the wedding. I won't perform the ceremony. I don't feel like it would be right for me to perform the ceremony. So a couple years ago, a young couple came up to me after a service and said, hey, we're new here. It's our very first Sunday. We love this church. We want to make it our home church. They were in their mid-20s. And they said, but we have a question for you. I'm like, okay, great. So I sat down with them. 
uh, in the office, and 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 I said, "What's going on?" Well, well, well. Let's let let us tell you our story real quick. We were high school sweethearts, and we we dated since high school. Just really love each other. Go to the same youth group. Grew up in the same church. Christian families. Like this whole thing, it just sounded sounded like just a fairy tale, great story. It was a great story. Right? It started off really great. They said we went to college, and then in college we we dated a little bit, but then we decided to take a break, and so we broke up from one another. And then and then we made like this really big mistake, and we we both met someone else, and we both got married to someone else. And now we realize what we did wrong. It was a mistake, so we've divorced our spouses, and we want to get married, and we want you to do the wedding. Now, I, again, I need to tell you that there are some cases when a couple comes to me and they want me to do their wedding, there are some cases that are kind of gray areas where it's kind of hard, you know, like for example, Pastor Ross is an example. Pastor Ross, his first wife passed away, some of you might have known his first wife. And years later, he ended up marrying Sally, wonderful woman. Ross talks about this on, his po- on the podcast for today, by the way. So I encourage you to go listen to that. And Sally is divorced. Now, Sally's divorce is because of, of a, adultery. Not her adultery, but her husband. Her husband was unfaithful to her. Sally really tried to make the marriage work. Sally tried to hang in there. He really, she really tried to honor God in the marriage. But, but he was, I don't want to say much more about it, but it didn't work out, and so they got a divorce, which, which, which in my book, in my book, was a biblical divorce. And in, in Ross's book, and in mine as well, I agree with Ross on this, he felt like it was, it was not against God's will that he would marry a divorced woman in this situation because she had biblical, what's called biblical grounds for divorce. But there are some pastors who would not be comfortable with even doing Ross and Sally's wedding because some people take just draw the line a little differently than where Ross would draw the line. And that's, that's fair. That's kind of how it works. Is every pastor has to kind of come to the situation and pray about it and have their own convictions about where to draw the line on that kind of thing based on some of the scriptures that we're looking at today. This situation with this young couple was not a gray area. There's no Bible-believing pastor that I know of that would say to them, oh, I'm glad you came to your senses, good for you, let's get you married. What they, what they did was clearly an example of what Jesus is talking about, is just kind of, they were, they were taking a low view of scripture, they were taking a low view of marriage, they, they got these divorces on a whim, and now they wanted a Christian pastor, like their youth pastor, to sign off on this, on this new wedding. And I looked at them and I said, look, I don't know you two, but I'll tell you what you should do is repent of what you're doing right now and go back to your spouses and tell them that you're sorry and beg them to take you back because that's what God wants because God loves marriage and what you guys are doing is not biblical. And I remember when I said that, I tried to say that as pastorally and as lovingly as I, could, as I possibly could. I wasn't, trying to not, I wasn't trying to be mean about it. I was direct, though. 
And I remember the guy, his shoulders kind of slumped, and I could tell that the Holy Spirit convicted him. He knew I was right. You could tell that there was something in him that, he, that, that, that really resonated with this, and he just needed someone to say it to him. He needed someone to speak that to him. And so he really received it, but she didn't. And she started to rebuke me, and she started to get angry at me and point fingers at me and say I was a bad person and a bad, and all this stuff. And I just had to say, okay, I'm going to just stop you right now. I said, look, we don't have to argue about this. We don't have to fight about this. You know what my answer is? I, I pray that you guys are blessed. I pray you make a good decision. But I said, look, you, what, you're wanting, you, what you're wanting is for a pastor like the pastors you grew up with to rubber stamp this. And you're not going to probably get that. If you want to go to a church that takes a low view of scripture and a low view of marriage, there's all kinds of churches around here. And you can go to those churches. But you're not going to be comfortable in those churches. Because they're not the kind of churches you grew up in. There are plenty of churches out there who don't view passages like this in a biblical way. They, they say, just do whatever you want. That To me, that's... That they wanted to have their cake and eat it too. They wanted to have a pastor like who they grew up with to say it's okay and then everything else, everything, all the other sermons that they ever hear are truly biblical as well. But they're not going to find a church like that. And so I want to encourage you just even as you hear that story that this, is a, this can be a really difficult scenario for people, especially for those of you who've been in, involved in divorces before. In fact, I just had somebody come up to me at, at Leighton this morning and he grabbed me after the service and he said, hey, I got a divorce five or six years ago. Am I going to hell? Like he said, I've, I've been, I'm remarried. My wife's right here in the service with me. We have a child now. Am I going to hell? And, I, and it broke my heart to hear him say that, that he, I want to make sure that you understand. We had a, just a brief interaction and I, wanted, and I encouraged him, you need to be committed to your wife. And you, but I think he felt like maybe his divorce wasn't maybe God-ordained, maybe that he was, maybe he made the wrong decision. There might be some of you in here today who are feeling that right now, and you might feel judged. And My intention today is not to judge anybody at all. And God's grace, praise the Lord, God's grace, grace covers all of our sin. God's grace covers our sin. But that doesn't give us a license to sin. That doesn't mean we should look at it and say, okay, because in the future now, because he's, because he's such a gracious God, I can just do whatever I want right now. No, we need to fight for our marriages. And that's what Jesus is getting at in this passage. See, marriage was God's idea. And it's about more than just a piece of paper. It's not just, it's not just what our government gives us when we get a marriage certificate. It's much deeper than that. It comes from Genesis chapter 2. The second chapter in the Bible, it says the Lord God said, this is when Adam was, was all alone. Eve wasn't created yet. And God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. Can I get an amen from the men in the room here? Yeah, that's why I tell AJ, my 19-year-old, when he's like, I don't think I'll get married. I'm like, it is not good for man to be alone. Like, unless you feel called to singleness, you should definitely be praying about the woman that God is going to give you. He says, I'll make a helper who is just right for him. And then in verse 24, it says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Isn't it cool that the institution of marriage is, is established right here in the second chapter of the Bible? That's so cool. And Jesus is going to refer back to Genesis chapter 2 when he talks about this. He, he talks about the blessing of a, 
of a man and a woman coming together, leaving father and mother, a man being joined to his wife and becoming one with his wife. This is God's ideal. This is God, what God wanted all along. In fact, he references it in Mark chapter 10, verse 4. Moses said a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away for any old reason. Right? This is the Mark version of what we're reading in Matthew. But Jesus responded like this. He wrote this commandment only as a concession to our hard hearts. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. What Jesus is saying here is, this is not God's plan A. It's man's plan B. Divorce is not God's plan A. And even if you've been divorced, I think you would, if you're a Christian, you would say, yeah, amen to that. I think Sally would say that. Sally would say, amen to that. Divorce is not God's plan A. It wasn't Sally's plan A. But it's a concession because humans are sinners. There are going to be situations where divorce is justified and divorce is the right course of action. But what Jesus is saying it shouldn't, is it shouldn't just be for any old reason. It shouldn't just be because you've fallen out of love. It shouldn't, shouldn't just be because, well, you want to try something different. Jesus, is, what he's trying to do is he's trying to elevate the sacrament of marriage. He's saying this is a blessed thing. This is a good thing. This is a God-ordained thing. This is not something that we should take lightly. So divorce isn't the easy way out. Here's what it does. It creates a ripple effect that disrupts the whole family. That young couple, I just wish they would know that. I wish they understood what was, what was going on and what they were doing to their, to their spouses. Jesus, let's go back to Matthew 5, 32. Jesus said, a man who divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. This kind of reminds me of week one in the series. If you were here, in week one we talked about anger. And Jesus, if you remember, Jesus said, hey, you've heard that murder is wrong, but I tell you, even if you get angry or call someone a fool, then you've already committed murder in your heart. So he's basically raising the bar for us. But do you remember what he said when he gave the example? He said this, so if you're going to the temple to offer a sacrifice and you remember that someone has something against you. You remember how that, I'd never noticed that before, but when he's getting, he's getting us to think about it, this is, this, is, this is really elemental to the Jesus way. When he's getting us to think about life, what he's trying to do is he's trying to get us to think about the other person, not you. So he doesn't say when, you go, when you're going to sacrifice something at the altar and you remember you're angry at someone else, that's not what he says. He says when you're going to sacrifice something at the altar and you remember that someone else is angry at you, so you see what he did? He flipped it upside down, and he's trying to get you to think about your sin, not in terms of how it impacts you. He's trying to get you to think about your sin and how it impacts someone else. And that's exactly what he does here. He says, okay, so what you're expecting him to say is a man who divorces his wife commits adultery, but that's not what he says. He says a man who divorces his wife is making her commit adultery. So what he's, what he's trying to get men to do, remember this is a society where men had all the rights and women were like property, and it was even worse in Moses' day. And what, what Jesus, this revolutionary leader, is doing is he's trying to get men to stop thinking about themselves. He's trying to get men to think about what they're doing to their wives when they take divorce so lightly. Because it wasn't women who were divorcing their husbands. It was husbands divorcing the wife. 
And so he says, you're making, you're causing her to commit adultery. Look at what you're doing to her when you do this. And then it says, if we go back to Malachi 2.15, we see the same thing stated here. This is in the Old Testament. The prophet Malachi says, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you're his. And so what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. And look at what Malachi's doing. He's saying this to the husbands. He's saying, guard your heart and remain faithful to your wife. And then he says, for I hate divorce. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So he says it again. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. You see what he's doing here? Malachi, just like Jesus, is saying, men, stop thinking about yourself. It's not about you. Be faithful to your wife. Be faithful to your wife. Quit trying to fulfill your own desires. Quit trying to think about it from your perspective. Think about it from your wife's perspective and be faithful to her. And I love the word that, that Malachi uses. He says, the, to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. And man, that was so true, especially in Malachi's day. It was true in Jesus' day because when, you, when a husband divorced his wife, then it, was, it, it really impoverished the woman. Not that that can't happen today. It certainly can happen today. But it was even worse 2,000 years ago and 2,500 years ago. And what we see, I think, in these passages is the heart of God toward people. God's heart toward people is he loves them. He cares about them. He wants the best for us. And so when he gives us this teaching on marriage and divorce, he's trying to give us something that is good for us, even though we might, we might want something else at the time. He's saying, don't take this lightly. Don't overwhelm your, your spouse, your wife, with cruelty by divorcing her. And we even see the, the talk about godly children from your union. We, if you've experienced divorce before, you know how destructive it can be on kids and how disruptive to their to their lives it can be and so divorce has this divorce certainly anyone who's experienced it is certainly not the easy way out it is it is much easier to fight for your marriage and this is what God calls us to do the Jesus way teaches us to be selfless and to fight for our marriage and we see it we see it most obviously in Jesus himself. This is the Jesus way. Now, Jesus wasn't married. I want to make sure you know that. Any of you Dan Brown people, who, or maybe that's an old reference now, but there's, there's you know, some people are like, no, Jesus was secretly married. No, he wasn't married. Exactly. But this verse tells us who Jesus' spouse was, who his wife was. It says, for husbands, Ephesians 5, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean washed by the cleansing of God's word. And so the bride of Christ is the church. We, we are the bride of Christ. And so consider what Jesus did for us. Jesus went to the cross, and you better believe he didn't want to. That was a selfless act when he went to the cross. He went to the cross because he was thinking about his wife, the bride. He was thinking about us. He went to the cross to die for us. And then what Paul's saying here is this is how husbands should be toward their wives, is we should, we should be selfless. We should have a sacrificial attitude. We should allow our wives to be in that first place. We shouldn't allow any other woman or any 
even our kids or our parents or anyone. We should let nobody else be holy like our wife is holy. Holy just means set apart. So Jesus said, the Bible says that Jesus made the church holy. He set the church apart from everything else. And that's a great picture for us in our marriages that we should, husbands, we should set our wives apart from every other woman at work, in the neighborhood, on Facebook, that we set our wives apart from every other woman. Wives, you should do the same thing with your husbands. We set our wives apart from our, from our in-laws. We set our wives apart from our kids because we're not one with our kids. We're not one with our in-laws. That oneness thing that we saw in Genesis, that's only between husband and wife. There's a special union, and that's why God hates divorce because it's not plan A, and it's so destructive to everybody involved. So the calling on our lives is to be selfless. Not to be perfect, but to be selfless. I can say my dad has done that. My dad was not a perfect husband and my mom was not a perfect wife. But my dad now has recently said to me with our, with, with our mom, starting to have some memory issues now, and we, we just spent a few days with him and, and my mom and, and we could see just how taxing it is on my dad and my dad said to us, this is what our vows are all about. This is where the rubber meets the road. We said, for better or for worse, for sicker or poorer. And so he said, essentially he just said to his kids, just, just watch me live out my vows now. What a, what a gift that is to my mom. And to all of us kids to see, to see someone take his vows seriously. I pray that my daughter has a husband who loves her like Christ loved the church. I pray that my daughter's husband loves her more than I loved her mom, because I'm doing my best, but I'm imperfect. I pray that my, my daughter's husband is a better husband than I was. I pray that my son, who's 19, he'll eventually come to his senses and realize it's not good for man to be alone. I pray that my son has a wife who will put up with him. Can I get an amen, right? Like, like my wife put up with me, and probably like many of the wives in here, I, I, I know that he needs that. I know that he needs a woman that, that will love him, and that they'll, they're not going to have a perfect marriage, but they're going to they're be committed to each other. This is what God wants for our marriages. What would this generation be like? What would our culture be like if, if all the Christian marriages, though imperfect, were committed if we didn't take divorce lightly, if we didn't take marriage lightly, if we, didn't, if we didn't lower God's word in his standard, but if we said, through thick and thin, in sickness and in health, till death do us part, I'm gonna be committed to you in the good and the bad. This is what God wants for us, and we'll be blessed if we do it. And the truth is, we can only do it because Jesus did it for us first. We can only do it because, because Jesus set us apart Jesus went to the cross. He died on the cross for our sins so that it, would, it could free us. Once we put our faith in him, it frees us from selfishness because that's an instinct in every single one of us. It frees us from that selfishness that can destroy our marriages. So can we bow for a second and pray for our marriages? And young people, I hope if you heard anything today, it's that marriage is worth it. Marriage can be good. And it's God-ordained and God wants you to have a lifelong marriage. I want to pray for those marriages and for the marriages right now. Let's all bow. God, I praise you, Lord, for every husband and wife in this room today, God. And I, sp I want to just speak a blessing 
over the marriages that are represented right now in this room. God, marriage can be hard. I know there are probably some couples that are really going through a hard time right now, and I pray, Lord Jesus, that this message today, that this reminder today from your word would be an encouragement, not a discouragement. I pray and speak life into those marriages. And God, I pray for all of the young people in this room, the unmarried people in this room, the single people in this room. God, I pray that, that healthy, strong, blessed marriages will be awaiting them. And God, I pray that you would prepare our young people in their hearts to be selfless in marriage like Jesus was selfless with the church. Finally, God, I pray for people in here today who have experienced divorce and who feel guilt or shame or condemnation or or anything that's not from you. God, I, I just pray against those feelings of inadequacy. God, I pray that we would recognize that your grace covers over a multitude of sins. And God, that we would recognize, even if we've made mistakes in our past, God, that, that your, your blood is stronger than our biggest mistake. And so, God, I pray that moving forward, that those individuals, that those couples, Lord God, would be blessed. For your glory and for our good, we pray these things in Jesus' name.